Good morning, everyone. I want to thank you for taking the time to be here uh, this morning, for waking up and making a conscious choice uh, to come out and to worship our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in spirit and in truth. Um, I'd like to ask you to please remember all those that are sick. Uh, there were several folks that were mentioned uh, in our bulletin, uh, the folks that are going through personal trials and, and sickness and other things uh, here in this earthly life, and um, I'd ask you to continue to remember them. Um, to our VBS uh, participants and helpers and teachers and coaches uh, from yesterday, um, we want to thank you so much for taking the time to um, put the effort and energy into making uh, our VBS uh, yesterday a success. Uh, to Karen, to Tanja, to Steve for cooking, Jason Harper for helping me referee, and others uh, um, uh, for all that you did in making sure your children uh, got here in order to participate. Uh, for our plebes, uh, we just finished the fifth Sunday over at the Naval Academy uh, uh, with plebe worship uh, since they can't get off the yard. And for all those that have given their time, effort, and energy writing notes, whatever it may be, uh, giving goodie bags and so forth to the Dooleys, we want to thank you again for uh, putting the goodie bags together for today. The plebes absolutely love them. It puts a smile on um, the, the plebes face as they fourth class as they can't get off the yard for another couple of weeks. They have plebe parents weekend coming up in two weeks and so they're getting close to the end and they're getting excited. Uh, but for all those um, that are doing things behind the scenes here at this congregation, um, we are excited and thankful uh, for the work that you do. Um, Melanie Lefevre puts a lot of time um, along with uh, others here putting the bulletin together to ensure it gets uh, printed out um, Mrs. Smith, thank you for what you do in reference to putting that together um, so that we have something uh, that we can look at and focus in on all the troubles here at the uh, Annapolis Church and the good things that are happening, anniversaries and birthdays. Um, for all those, if I'd like you to, to ask you to remember those that are traveling. We have some that are uh, out traveling. I'm glad to be back. I, I just got back from uh, a nice long vacation with uh, the Lewises uh, in uh, the Aloha uh, state and uh, it's good to be back although I don't know if we've really adjusted to the six hour differential in time but uh, we are nonetheless back and excited uh, uh, to be here to our visitors and to others Mark Moore it's good to see you here uh, to Miss Bev Dahlman uh, it's always good to see you and others here at the congregation to our visitors thank you all for taking the time in order to be with us this morning um, I'll tell you a quick short story we are going to take a look at Luke chapter 10 so you can open your Bibles there. And while you're there, I'll tell you a real quick uh, short story. Um, there was a minister um, at a hospital. His wife had been sick on the Thursday prior to the Sunday of preaching, and, and the minister was a little concerned. They eventually, uh, his wife got sick so bad to the point they had to take her to the hospital on, um, on that Friday. And uh, uh, lo and behold, uh, one of the brothers in the congregation went to go and um, visit uh, with uh, the minister and his wife in the hospital. And uh, the minister had a, a heavy burden on his chest because he had to preach on Sunday. Um, he looked over at the brother who came to visit, he and his wife, and, and said, would you, mind, uh, would you mind speaking? I don't I'll turn the pulpit over to any but one. The elders have a certain expectation, but would you mind speaking on Sunday? And, uh, of course, the brother thought about it for a second. He, a minute later, second later, he, he immediately said, I'd be glad to, 
uh, happy to stand in for you on uh, on Sunday. And so the um, minister had a lot of relief uh, off of him. The brother then left with his wife after exchanging pleasantries and went and got in the car. And they got to the garage and paid the ticket in order to get out of the garage. And he looked over to his wife and he said, well, what do you think we ought, ought to speak about on Sunday? And the wife, uh, very gently, she put her hand on her husband's knee as he was driving out of the parking garage and said, how about you speak about five minutes and then sit down? <laughs> I'll try to follow that, uh, uh, that tune a little bit somewhat this morning. I don't know if I'll make five minutes, but uh, we'll try to keep it, it brief. In your hearing a few minutes ago, there was a very familiar story of the good Samaritan that was read. From this familiar parable, we have learned over time three principles about love toward our neighbor. One, lack of love is often easy to justify even though it is never right. Lack of love is often easy to justify even though it is never right. Two, our neighbor, we learn from this scripture, is everyone. Look to your right, if you will. Go ahead, look to your right. That's your neighbor. Look to your left here in the congregation. That is your neighbor. Look behind you, if you would. That's your neighbor. Look to the other side of the auditorium, because that is your neighbor. Those outside of the building, those are your neighbors. And when you leave today, the first person you come across out there in the world, it does not matter about race or about creed or about social status because they, you, he, she, they are your neighbor. Point number two. Point number three we get from the scripture that was read is that true love means acting. It means being the person to meet the other folks' needs. We, have, we all have some spiritual needs, some physical needs, some emotional needs, some psychological needs, and we all can help each other. We see that from the scripture that was read in our hearing today. But today, we are going to talk about a different Samaritan. A Samaritan that came to embody verse 27 of Luke chapter 10. Look at verse 27, if you would. Luke chapter 10 and verse 27. A Samaritan that came to embody, the Bible says... And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Our focus this morning is on that word, the heart. As we know, the, the physical heart, excuse me, to be the organ that circulates our blood. My old skipper 
who I served with on board USS Villa Golf. I served with him for about two years, and he dropped dead at 53. He had a heart problem. That's the physical heart. But we also know the heart as the vital center of one's being, of one's emotions, as of one's sensibilities. And so the Bible speaks a lot about the heart. In Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 17, the Bible says, do not hate your brother in your heart. First Samuel chapter 10 verse 9 The Bible says, as Saul turned to leave Samuel, God changed Saul's heart. And all these signs were fulfilled that day. In 1 Samuel 16 and verse 7, the Bible says, The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance. But the Lord looks at the heart. In Psalm chapter 16, in verse 9, the Bible tells us, we see David telling us, Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure. In Proverbs 4, in verse 23, the Bible says, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. In Ezekiel chapter 36 and verse 26, the Bible says, The sovereign Lord says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from your heart of remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my decrees. Now, that's in the Old Testament. We see a lot of proof of the importance of the heart. In the New Testament, in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 8, the Bible says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Matthew 6, 21 tells us, Jesus teaches us about money here. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In Matthew chapter 12 and verse 34, Jesus says, For out of the heart the mouth speaks. And in John 14 verse 1, the Bible says, Jesus says, Do not let your heart be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. And in 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 5, The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart. And God a good conscience, and sincere faith. I would recommend with all this and the many other scriptures that I did not mention this morning, God teaches us to have pure hearts, that we need to spend some time as a family together, both visitors and members, looking and examining our own hearts, our own minds, And our own souls. Look back in chapter 10 and you'll see how Jesus taught about the heart. This morning we're going to to spend our remaining time together in John chapter 4. You see in Luke we talked a little bit about the Samaritan man. 
The Bible gives us another wonderful story of a Samaritan woman. Turn over there, if you will. Turn over, if you would, to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. And we're going to begin... We're going to begin in verse number one here in just a moment. While you're turning there, I want to read another quick short story for you to help focus and tune your minds. It's entitled Wet Pants. It goes like this. Come with me to a second grade classroom. There was an eight-year-old, my son happens to be seven, about to enter into second grade, and so the story rings home for me. Every time he comes into my bedroom and says, my bed is wet, it rings home. But there was an eight-year-old kid sitting at his desk, and all of a sudden, there was a puddle between his feet and the front of his pants. He thought his heart was going to stop because he could not possibly imagine what had happened. It had never happened before, and he knew that when the boys found out, that he would never hear the end of it. When the girls found out, they'd never speak to him as long as he lived. The boy believed that his heart was going to stop. And so he put his head down, and he said a quick prayer. Dear God, this is an emergency. I need your help, and I need your help right now. Five minutes from now... I'm dead meat. Think back when you were in the first or second grade. He looked up from his prayer and there came the teacher with her eyes looking dead at him as if he had been discovered. As the teacher was walking toward him, a classmate named Susie carrying a fishbowl that was filled with water, she tripped. And the teacher, in front of the teacher, and it unexplicably dumped the bowl of water on the boy's lap. The boy pretending to be angry, but with all that he was, he said to himself, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Now, all of a sudden, instead of being the object of ridicule, the boy was the object of sympathy. The teacher rushed him downstairs and gave him gym shorts and put, to put on while his pants dried out. And all the other children were on their hands and knees cleaning up the mess that was around his desk. The sympathy was wonderful. But as life would have it, the ridicule that should have been his had been transferred to someone else, Susie. She tried to help, but they, but they told her, just get out of the way. You've done enough, you klutz. Finally, at the end of the day, as they were waiting on the bus, the boy walked over to Susie and he whispered, you did that on purpose, didn't you? Susie whispered whispered back to him and said, I wet my pants once too. May God help us to see the opportunities that are always around us to do good. Remember, just going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than standing in a garage makes you a car. I only hope that in the coming years there will be many more people with fish bowls around me. Amen? Amen. Amen. 
We have a Savior that continuously saves us every single day that we live. Oh, and to have a heart like these two children. Oh, to grow our hearts like these two children. And so we move from that story to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. Follow me, if you will, uh, for just a few moments. We're going to read John chapter 4, verses 1 through 26. The Bible says, and you know the story, but it's Jesus talking to the woman at the well, a Samaritan woman. The Pharisees, verse 1, heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Verse 4. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sachar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down at the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. In verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Verse 10, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. <clears throat> Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than, the, the, than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? In verse 13, Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will become, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I, I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Verse 15, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to come here to draw water. He told her, go, call your husband and come back. Verse 17, I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on the mountain. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Verse 21, Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Verse 22, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Verse 25. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ. 
is coming. When he comes, I will explain it. he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you is he. For the next few minutes, for the next few minutes, we're going to springboard from the subject, what's down in the well comes up in the bucket. What's down in the well comes up in the bucket. The setting of this account was at Jacob's well, on the property originally owned by Jacob. But this well was not spring-fed. It was a well into which water seeped from rain and from dew, collecting at the bottom. I make this a point today because we can draw our first lesson in the bucket in growth for our heart today from here. Lesson number one, if you don't put anything or you put the wrong thing in, you will get nothing or the wrong thing out. I say again, if you don't put anything in or if you put the wrong thing in, you will get nothing or the wrong thing out. You see it here playing out in this story. You have to take time to put something in the well, the right thing in the well. Even though Jesus was tired here in this story, Jesus still took the time to teach. In the midst of your own crisis, what's the lesson for us? In the midst of your own crisis in life, do you still look for ways to focus on God, to let the main thing be the main thing, and to help others, to give more of you? When Jesus was down and out, when Jesus was tired, when you're tired in life, what attitude do you have? What heart do you show? What's down in the well comes up in the bucket. Next, look at the Samaritan woman. And up to this point, she had been married and divorced. And the Bible says many times, Jesus tells us many times, what had she invested her time into? Well, we know she had invested her time into marriage. But had she invested her time into putting the right thing in the well? What's down in the well comes up in the bucket. And maybe our sins are not public, but let's not sit around and think too highly of ourselves. Because today, in some cases, if we are to be honest with ourselves, we make four or five tries at getting it wrong before we get it right. Of missing the mark, Just like this Samaritan woman, what's down in the well comes up in the bucket. Understanding the cultural times is also essential to understanding fully this biblical account that's played out here in John of Jesus and this Samaritan woman. After the northern kingdom fell to Assyria, many of the Jews were deported to Assyria And replaced by foreigners to settle the land, to keep the peace, intermarriage between foreigners from present-day Iraq area resulted in a mixed race, impure in the opinion of the Jews, 
who lived in the southern kingdom. Thus the pure Jews disliked, and that's a kind word, the mixed race because they had betrayed their people and their nation. The Jews did everything they could to avoid traveling through Samaria, but Jesus did not. Look at the history. Take some time and study it for yourselves. Don't believe me. Real quick, turn over to 2 Kings. 2 Kings chapter 17. 2 Kings chapter 17. Don't believe me because I told you. Believe it because it is written. 2 Kings chapter 17 and verse 22. The Bible tells us of what the fact of what I just said. The Israelites persisted in all the sins of Jer- Jeroboam. And did not turn away from them. Verse 23. Until the Lord removed them from his presence. As he had warned through all his servants the prophets. So the people of Israel were taken from their homeland into exile in Assyria. And they are still there. Verse 24 of chapter 17 of 2 Kings says. The king of Assyria brought people from Babylon. Kutta. Ava. Hamath and Sepharavim, and settled them into the towns of Samaria to replace the Israelites. They took over Samaria and lived in its towns. When they first lived there, they did not worship the Lord. So So he sent lions among them, and they killed some of the people. Verse 26, it was reported to to the king of Assyria, the people you deported And resettled into the towns of Samaria. Do not know what the God of that country requires. He has sent lions among them. Which are killing them off. Because the people do not know what he requires. Verse 27. Then the king of Assyria gave this order. Have one of the priests you took captive from Samaria. Go back to live there. And teach the people what the God of the land requires. Verse 28. So one of the priests who had been exalted from Samaria came to live in Bethel and taught them how to worship the Lord. Nevertheless, verse 29, each national group made its own gods in the, in the several towns where they settled and set them up in the shrines the people of Samaria had made at the high places. Don't believe what I just told you. Take some time and go back and look at what God has told us in the Old Testament because it is there for our learning. And so we arrive at this powerful account. This powerful account that teaches us what's down in the well comes up in the bucket. But all these things work together for the good of those who serve the Lord, Romans 8, 28 tells us. And so as we look back at John chapter 4, you almost see the heart of a child. You see the heart of a child in verse 15 of John 4 that's about to be molded by the Savior. Look with me. Go back over to John chapter 4 and look at verse 15. The Bible says, the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. The Samaritan woman's still thinking about drawing water. Jesus is about to mold the Samaritan woman to really truly understand that the living water 
is what she should be focused on. You also see the stubbornness of a child. Look in verse 19 of John chapter 4. The Bible says, sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on the mountains, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. When she discovered Jesus knew all about her private life, do you see what she did? She pushed to change the subject. Her focus went to location. We all have done that. We've all done that in our own lives. When the conversation gets uncomfortable, we change the subject. Have we not? If we're honest in our hearts, there's truth. When things get just a little too close, a bit too close to home, we will be quick to change the subject. But she and we are fooling with the master teacher who knows all of our lives, inside and out, upside and down. And so we come to lesson number two this morning. We cannot fool God. We can fool those around us, but we cannot fool Jesus Christ. We cannot fool the Holy Spirit. Lesson number two is we cannot fool God. We cannot fool Jesus Christ, and we cannot fool the Holy Spirit. But look at the growth that happens from this point in our story to see her heart grow to the end. This Samaritan went from being like Saul, the sinner, to being like Paul, telling others about Christ. John chapter 4, look at John chapter 4, verse 28. The Bible says... Then leaving her water jar, she left her water jar. The woman went back to town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way to him. May we all truly desire to drink from the living water that Christ is so freely, freely offering to each in every one of us. And so we go to the final point this morning. After the growth of her heart, after her being willing to tell other people in the city, look in, verse, in chapter 4, verse 39. Chapter 4 and verse 39, the Bible says, Many Samaritans came from the town. They believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed. He stayed for two days, and, became, and because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you have said. Now we have heard it for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. We have a responsibility to make sure that our hearts are right. We also have a responsibility to make sure that we help others, our neighbor, get to where they need to be. Their hearts are where they need to be. <clears throat> and so, 
If you want to experience the joy, I offer you one final Old Testament scripture. I ask you to turn over Psalms chapter 16 and the lesson's yours. We'll offer an invitation this morning to come in faith, repentance, and baptism or whatever your need may be. But turn over with me to Psalms chapter 16 and we'll close. We'll close for today. Psalms chapter 16, because this is a powerful psalm that David leaves for us. If you want joy, not just mere earthly happiness, but if you want joy, David tells you how to get it. The Samaritan tells you how to get it. That was the question that was asked in our scripture reading today. In Psalm 16, the Bible says, keep me safe, O God, for in you I take refuge. I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. As for the saints who are in, in the land, they are the glory, glorious ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those will increase who run after other gods. Psalm 16, verse 4. I will pour out their, their libations of blood or take up their names on my lips. Verse 5, Lord, you have assigned me my portion and my cup. You have made my lot secure. The boundary lies, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. Do you have a delightful inheritance? Verse 7, I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Verse 9, 10, and 11. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure. When you die, do you know where your heart and your soul will rest? Because you will not abandon me to the grave. Lord, you won't leave me there. Nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You will not let my soul see decay. You will not let my soul burn in hell. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. If you want to be in heaven with the Lord, it's required of us as his children to have the right heart. What's down in the well comes up in the bucket. The lesson is yours this morning. Thank you for your patience and understanding. Hopefully this message has been an encouragement to you so that when you walk out the door, you will remember who your neighbor is as we together stand and sing.